Well, good morning. As we gather, let's prepare our hearts for worship by hearing the words of this song. Welcome to worship at Fusion. We're glad that you are worshiping with us, whether online or in this space. And now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. 
Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here and hearing a response back. That's great. This morning, I'm going to do prayer, and I'm going to start out with Psalm 5. So if you'll join me in prayer. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, that you have made this space 
this timing available for us to come and to just lay our requests before you, whatever they may be, Lord. I want to open up this time just to say, here we are, Lord, listen. Lord, thank you for this time that we can unburden our hearts, that we can give you our joys, and we can give you our sorrows, and know that you listen to us deeply. You want to hear from us. I thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, and also, you tell us to just set our sins, set our confessions before you. So, Lord, we do that now also. We just want to say, Lord, help me to be a better person but to be a better person, Lord, fix this first, please. Lord, I thank you for the love that you continually rain down on us, that you continually say, yes, my son, yes, my daughter, you are still mine. I still love you. Lord, I thank you for this time. And in your peace, I will lay down and sleep for you alone, Lord make me dwell in safety. Lord, I thank you for that time, that, that promise that when we dwell in you, there is safety. Doesn't always feel very good, but there's safety there. Lord, thank you for that safety. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, in all that's been said and given to you, I know that you've heard. I know that you will answer. Help us to be patient and wait expectantly for you. We give you this time, Lord. Amen. I just have one quick announcement. After the service, there's going to be a pig roast today. It's going to be a fundraisers for Mika's lunch. I know it said noon to two, but I'm hoping that everybody's on time. Or we just get a little more time to fellowship outside and then wait for the lunch to come around. But it's just gonna be a pickup lunch, so just hop in your car and you can drive around and I'm sure we will find the people that have lunch for us today. Thank you. Thank you, Linda, and thank you, team and Sarah and Life Together. It's such a good thing. You know, you we've been through this season where we're discovering new things apart. It's good to be back and discovering things together. I'm thankful as well. Typically, I'm across the hallway, and so this is kind of my chance to see the fusion cousins of the Hardaway family, and, and here we are. Um, 
will continue to kind of enter into the future that we have. Make sure you're, I, I'm telling folks it's celebration. Be encouraged. We're, if we work together, we can get together. So this Mika's Lunch Fundraiser, it's a good time for us to get back into some of these rhythms. We can help feed kids in Dominican Republic. Whatever we're trying to figure out, we're going to take care of those kids and make sure they've got lunch. And then Wednesday, um, picnic kind of on the green there. We'll gather together. Again, appropriately distanced and all those kind of things. But um, it's good to be getting back together. I'm thankful for the chance, both here live and anybody on the live stream and recorded. Um, we've been praying and looking into this sermon series in the book of Daniel and been very excited about it. And then this week we got word out, we began to detail and I was inundated with questions. So I want to grab this one right off. I had a number of folks say, oh, Pastor Bill, I was so looking forward to that Daniel, but I see that you're going to start in Jeremiah. Okay, we can wait. Well, I want to tell you, we're starting our series in the book of Daniel by looking at Jeremiah. And I want to give you the, the sense of why that is and why it's important. The text in Jeremiah gives us insight into the whole book of Daniel, because this is a, a letter that God gave to Jeremiah the prophet to give to the exiles in Babylon. It would have been what they read Daniel at this point, maybe a child, maybe five, eight years old. He's gathered with what's left of his family in light of all that destruction. And they hear this word from the Lord through Jeremiah in the letter. And this becomes, in a sense, a, a start off for the next 70 years of Daniel's life. 70 years where he lives out what we read and hear. Um, God is speaking to him. This is a formative word from the Lord in a formative moment. How many of you this week thought back on where you were 19 years ago, September 11? You remember that? That was a formative experience for all of us who were alive then. And in the same way, the Babylonian exile would have shaped that small community of God's people. And they would have remembered this prophetic letter that guided who they were and what they were doing. So as I read the scripture to you, I want to set that context. This is the letter that would have shaped Daniel's life and ministry. In a sense, Daniel is 70 years of living out this text. That's what we'll see the 10 weeks following. So hear the word of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning at verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, you know, the God of Israel says to all those I have carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produced, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. We're talking grandchildren here. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are not 
but they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and you'll come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back into the place from which I carried you into exile. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you that centuries ago, your Holy Spirit moved on the heart and mind of the prophet Jeremiah, and he wrote down in the form of a letter to give to the exiles in Babylon. It would shape their lives. And now centuries later, as it's been amazingly preserved, we have the high privilege of taking that very letter and translating it, meditating upon it, studying, and coming to this moment. I beseech you, Holy Spirit, illumine the hearts and the minds of all your people that hear this, that we might be encouraged and edified, that is built into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that your grace is bigger than even my goofiness. Guard them from my sin, but build into them the fullness of your grace. Thank you for your kindness and goodness. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. So here's Daniel. At this point, probably a child. The details really aren't that clear, but we can picture the time and setting. Generally, he would have been a child. And there comes this word from the Lord through Jeremiah to this small band of powerless exiles. I want to take a moment to think about exactly how they got to that place. And to do that, I want to do some history. Now, I used to tell my students in class this, this won't be on the test, just listen. And I'll give you a picture for this thing. But you remember the history of Israel, or maybe you don't, I'll catch you up. There were three kings. Do you remember Saul, David, Solomon? Saul had no heart for God. He was swept away. David had a whole heart for God. And Solomon had, well, half a heart for God. So here's David, the great king of Israel, a psalmist, a musician. Musicians always do well, don't they? So here's David. And the life in the kingdom actually improves after David. Solomon is kind of the high point economically. But with Solomon, his divided heart, the kingdom begins to decline. He begins to compromise. He begins to live for other things than God. So there's a sermon there. I'm just highlighting you about the ones I don't preach. Things get better economically, even as the heart of the king starts to slide. Saul, David, Solomon, and then the history of the kings. Right after Solomon, the nation splits. There's a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom. Before long, the northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians. They're essentially swept off the map of history. And so there's just the small southern kingdom of Judah. Sometimes good kings, sometimes bad kings, all of them kind of on the decline. And then it's as if God says, enough, out of here. 
I'm carrying you from Jerusalem to Babylon. The rhythms, the institutions, all the things of life as you know it, burned up, destroyed. So here you are. And the picture I want you to see runs across about 400 years from King David, king with a heart for God, to the exile, carried off to a different land. Suddenly everything that you, you can't overestimate the impact, the disruption of the exile on the life of God's people. So they'd lived in a place that had a regular rhythm, the Sabbath, the festivals, the feasts, there was the temple, they had the history, they had the word of God, they had all the, and suddenly it's gone. It's thousands of miles away. It's a it's a pile of smoking rubble. It's gone. Ever feel like everything you hoped and loved and knew about God was gone? That can happen. I tell you, I did some study of American history, and I made a fascinating discovery. Did you know that there was a city in the United States that in the 1980s, there was McDonald's built there, and the McDonald's stays closed on Sunday. There was such a commitment to the Sabbath that not just Chick-fil-A, but McDonald's for crying out loud was closed. You know what town that was? Holland, Michigan. There was built into our lives a rhythm, institutions, expectations. Just go along and you'll get carried along in a particular environment. Ever felt like that's gone? If you have it, I've got a word for you. It is. It's gone in more ways than we may be willing to face or comfortable with. History has moved along and now God's people may well be in a Babylon moment, not a Jerusalem setting. How are you going to cope with that? What does Daniel have to say? How does God's word through Jeremiah speak to the situation we find ourselves in? It's important that we settle this, friends, because the people of God faced an important decision. Should they try to go back, try to reestablish the rhythms, get a better king, get the kingdom back, redo, get like it was? Let me push you on something about the Sabbath. What, what's the purpose of the Sabbath? Did God say in the fourth commandment, thou shalt have no Big Macs on Sunday? Oh, he, he did not say that. But isn't it easy to think that maybe the Sabbath is about not having a Big Mac or not watching a ball game or keeping your Sunday clothes on all day? You see, you get these rhythms and routines and institutions but those really ought to grow out of a sense of, I can trust God. And in six days of work, under God's grace, I can produce what I need for seven. That's the story of the manna. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. That by resting in obedience to God, living under his grace, I can produce in six days what most folks take seven, I'm provided for. Now, 
there's a heart issue behind that. Why did God want to teach us to rest and to trust him? Because there was coming a time. It was still about 600 years in the future for Daniel, but there was coming a time when God himself would enter into history and Jesus, the word made flesh, would be nailed to a cross for your sin and for mine. And the gospel is this, let your heart be at rest in all that God has done. You can't add anything to the gift of God with salvation. You live in that rest and you'll begin to see, you know, I'll work faithfully, but I'm giving one day out of seven to God because I love him, not because I need some relaxation. That one out of seven was meant to be for God, not for you. And maybe what follows out of that, how many of you think McDonald's would be open if they didn't sell anything for 24 hours? See, that's how this thing works. The institutions of our life reflect the priorities of our heart. Our heart is transformed by the gospel. But the point is not to go back to the institutions and the rhythms of life. The point is to be transformed by the gospel of God's grace. And then a friend of mine once used the term, be like salt and light wherever you find yourself. You know who that friend is. Who said, be the salt? Who said, that's Jesus who called us to be the light of the world. We're not going back to Jerusalem because a better king won't fix our problem. I want to tell you, what you see at the beginning of the Babylonian exile is God's working out in the history of his people that no king will give you everything I want for you. You need more than a king. 600 years, you'll see, I'll provide a savior. That's why they don't go back to Jerusalem. That's why God says, stick with me and I'll bring you forward. Here's the message of this text, friends. For the people at Babylon carried away from Jerusalem, the past is gone. They may remember those great Passover feasts. They may remember the Day of Atonement, but nowhere in their culture is it going to be reinforced. The past is gone and there's no going back. And here's why there's no going back. It's because God himself brought them there. So you can stand at the beginning of the exile right there in Babylon and you can say, man, I'm holding my breath till we can get back to the way it ought to be. Or you can say, I'm sticking with God and I'm going wherever he'd take me. Because it's God who brought them there. Listen to verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, so we're not confused, him. This is what he says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God is the one who did that. They are there because of God. It's as if God is saying, don't go back to the routines that grew out of David's life. Go back instead to the God that David's life trusted right where you are. Oh, but it was so, I know it was nice then, but I'll tell you where I am and where I'm going. It's as if God wants to say that. No need to go back to their routine. Even a new king like David, what they needed was a savior. And God was on his way towards that. It would be 600 years later. But many of you have walked with God enough to know that he's always on time and rarely early. 
in the fullness of time, a Savior was born, and he's coming. So we don't go back. We stick with God, and wherever he places us, we are his people. We need more than a man with God's own heart to rule, he's saying to Israel and to us. We need a Savior. It's as if God would say, I will put you in this situation where the routines and institutions of life are different and forward, foreign and even anti-God. How does that sound like? Oh, great. Thank you, God. You're putting me where everybody hates you. The culture is toxic and dangerous. Thank you. He's saying, I'm putting you there for a purpose. I'll be with you. Bear fruit. Pray for the shalom. Invest. Let your families grow. You'll be a minority in a toxic culture. It's as if God would say this, but I will be there with you. Trust me and you will flourish, not because of your routines and institutions, but because of me. My grace will make you flourish. And like I promised to Abraham, you will be a blessing to others right where you are. Oh, but God, they serve pork. Chill. I'll be with you, says the Lord. God called this forsaken band of exiles to go forward, trusting him rather than go back and try to do it all over again. It's an exile season for Israel, and that's hard. God's people have faced this before, and it's my experience looking at history that we've responded three different ways, three different ways that when you're in exile, when you're a minority culture in a toxic larger culture, one is isolation. Oh boy, I'm just going to build the walls and hide. Isolation. I want to... Um, Avoid this culture at all means. There were Israelites who tried to move off into the desert or go to Egypt, any place but Babylon. It's so awful. We're just going to hole up and build the walls. I'm going to hold my breath and all this will be gone. We'll have a Babylonian vaccine. I mean, do you hear that echo in this moment? <laughs> There's isolation. That was the response of the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. Build the wall. You want to see what it looks like in the 21st century? Spend time. I love the time I've had to spend with the Amish people. But that's an approach to culture that's based on isolation. And let me suggest to you, there's something more dangerous to our hearts with God than COVID. I'm happy to distance and wear a mask and all those kind of things for the protection of one another. But I, I want to tell you, and I'm going to share this link with as many people as I can. I listened to a podcast about parenting during the pandemic by a Dr. Leonard Sachs. And he talks about that toxic culture in our kids' lives. Do you know what is accessible on a cell phone without a filter to a middle schooler. One of the reasons I don't play up how evil it was in Babylon anymore is because it's all accessible to you on your cell phone. Right there. There's something more dangerous than a virus. There's trusting in self and pursuing, allowing the culture to shape us. 
and isolation has never worked. We're called to live out the gospel when we have this minority status. Isolation doesn't work. There's another approach, assimilation. I give up, I surrender, you win. We'll just be like the culture. Yep, no difference. We're like salt that loses its saltiness. We give up like the Sadducees in the time of Jesus. And my fear and concern is much like the church where we are today. You know, it's easy to look like the world and then have a, a form of religion without his power. Jeremiah 29 calls Israel to mission for engagement from minority status. So isolation, assimilation, or with God and on mission. Called to be salt and light, called to make a difference, called to be unique, but for benefit of others. We're not called to make Babylon into Jerusalem, but to make Babylon a better place, more reflective of Yahweh, to be salt. We don't make the city over again after what we want. We make the city more livable for all. Occasionally, you'll see in Daniel's life from a position of authority. Other times, they call Daniel from prison to have an impact. How do you go from prison to impact? Well, you got to start in prison. <laughs> Funny thing, and I'd ask young folks this, would you love to see an angel? I mean, a real angel intervene with life and deal with things. Not a story of an angel, a real angel rescue you. Daniel is all about that. All you got to do is stand so clear and firm and humbly for God that the government throws you in the lion's den. And before the lions eat you up, an angel intervenes. I want to see the angel. I don't want the lion's den. This is real stuff. We're facing challenging things. And this is our moment, friends. We're called to live out where God has placed us. No longer will the Old Testament festivals and rhythms work for Israel. Our lives will be different. But out of a daily discipline and devotion to the living God and his gospel, you'll be amazed at what you see God do. Let me touch three quick things that this passage reminds us of as we live right where God has placed us, as we bear fruit in the midst of a, well, let's just call it very fertile place. <laughs> All right. The first thing he says, verse seven, seek the shalom of the city. The peace and prosperity is how the New International Version translates that. The Hebrew word is shalom. And shalom is a big word. It's the whole enchilada. It's not the society works for us. It's that the whole community, the whole society flourishes. There's right worship of the true God. There's just government. There's stable and safe community. Businesses are honest. Every step along the way, there's a flourishing for all. God calls us that. Daniel shows us what that looks like when in Babylon. Another guy talked about what it looked like in his time. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's Jesus. What does it mean to live as a minority status in a toxic culture? Well, Jesus says it'll be loving your enemies. It'll be praying for those who persecute you. 
Now, how provocative can I get here? Imagine, if you will, a certain government official walking down the street in Holland, on 8th Street perhaps. Would that official feel, oh, you know, they may disagree with my policies here. They may want to recall me and get me out of office, but I know they're praying for me. And I ask you, would you pick up their tab if you're in the same restaurant? What does it mean to love who you'd recognize as an enemy? Another painful thing that Jeremiah communicates is this truth. Don't listen to religious liars. I'm using the term religious liars for false prophets, diviners. And the Lord through Jeremiah says, it's those people, they're telling you what you want to hear. Don't dwell here. I, I, I can't spend too long here because time is moving on. But friends, we are so surrounded by consumer culture that we simply put together a Christianity of the beliefs we want to have, the things that are convenient. There is a pervasive prosperity th theology that moves without even realizing it. I had a preacher not long ago. I heard him say this, imagine the life you want to have, one with a great job, a beautiful home, and a perfect family. You can have it. Oh, you're going to tell that to the people in Babylon? How about to the people in Lake Charles, Louisiana, close to where I used to live, just hit by Hurricane Laura, or brothers and sisters in the underground church in China? Just imagine. I want to cue you in on something that we learned from the scripture. You are not God. You can't shape your reality or your circumstances by your desires. You can let God shape your life, but you're not going to shape him. So beware of the religious liars, the prosperity theology. I've talked in celebration often about moralistic therapeutic deism. I've talked about it on my blog because it's important that you begin to recognize where the world is stepping away from the living God. There are whole churches and denominations that have rejected the historic beliefs of the Christian faith. I'm not talking about different worship styles. I'm cool with that, not a problem. But when suddenly the, his, the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead doesn't matter, something has changed. So beware religious liars. Finally, God says this, I will be found by you. Here in the midst of this toxic culture, with no other resources to lean on, when you can't make the schedule or the calendar where the institutions are actually working against healthy family, not for, there I'll be found by you because I will meet you right here and bless you. God will enter in to our mess and his grace will shape us. You may remember from the summer of 2010, 10 years ago, a mining accident in Chile in South America. The mine collapsed in and 33 miners were trapped underground. How far? Oh, about half a mile. Imagine, do you remember the old John Hancock building in Chicago? You ever seen that? That's about half the distance of their depth below the surface. This tragedy, you, you know what it's like to be trapped that far underground? The darkness, the humidity, the lack of food pressing in. 
The world watched with bated attention at 33 trapped Chilean coal miners as they were rescued from 2,000 feet below the ground. They had been captive for 68 days. Many rescue experts were skeptical a rescue could even be accomplished, including the drill team. We've never gone that deep and made a hole that big. But one by one, after 68 days, the miners were lifted to the surface in a capsule that slowly traveled through a long, narrow tunnel. The capsule had been developed by NASA. It was 21 inches wide. And it was pulled up from below the ground, the height of the John Hancock building once, that same height again. Imagine lost and pressed in that. Many of the trapped miners were spiritually changed as a result of their ordeal. One Chilean miner was quoted as saying, there were 34 of us, not 33, because God never left us down there. Were they in a circumstance beyond their own ability to care for themselves, beyond their own control? They sure were. But somehow, some way, God by his grace met them and effected a rescue Friends, this is the gospel that God the Son willingly chose to leave the perfect community of the Father and the Spirit. And he chose exile to planet Earth, his own creation, but now that creation crushed by the, crushed by the consequences of rebellion and selfishness. All that he might offer rescue to us, to you and to me, is creation. Though broken by sin, Though facing the just debt for my sinful behavior, though blinded by our broken sin nature, all of it, he entered in and rescued us. That's the promise made to the people as they stand on the edge of exile. That's what Jesus accomplished at the cross. That's our hope from here. Let me pray for you. Lord God, Thank you that we can rest because Jesus said it is finished. Let that shape the way we would live our week and the routine. Let it shape the way we treat others, that we might live out of a fullness of what Jesus has given. And Father, in times that seem strange and circumstances that are hard, let us remember that you've called us to trust you, to walk with you, and that you've made promises to your people, that in you we have a security to face whatever it is lies before us. So we are at peace, and we have a peace to share. Christ at the cross, our peace, in Jesus' name, amen. Feel free to worship along with us.
are here. You are holy. We just sang that to God. A number of years ago, I had a real serious hip operation, and the doctor who worked on me was totally sterile. And because he was sterile, I didn't get infected. The holiness that God wants to work in us is not a self-righteous, condescending sort of work, because that's not the holiness that God is. The holiness that God would work in his people. Make sure that the wounded people we spend time with don't get infected. Pursue the holiness of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. And amen. Go forth in God's grace and courage. He'll use you right where he pleases you.